Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Vanitha Rendell Reisner author of Walking Through Fire, a a memoir of loss and redemption, writes these words. I love Easter. I know it's not Easter, it's Mother's Day. Stick with me. I love Easter. She says, it's the ultimate day of rejoicing. We join in jubilation and we cite, he is risen, and the response is, he is risen indeed. But when I think of Good Friday, she says, my heart sinks. It is our remembrance of the ultimate day of despair when sin colored the world and evil seemingly triumphant, triumphed in that moment. She writes, several years ago, I was sinking into this dull depression. She says, life was gray, and I cried at the slightest provocation, and sometimes with no provocation at all. I was falling into a black hole and I felt powerless to stop my descent. So much of my life had been disintegrated at this point. My husband had left our family. Our children decided that God wasn't real. They were angry, disillusioned, taking their frustrations out at home. My health was spiraling downward and I was struggling to even care for myself, let alone my two adolescent daughters. I I was at one of the lowest points in my life, she recalls. While I had previously known a deep relationship with God, I was now struggling to believe that God loved me. My relentless pain had convinced me that my situation would never change. In short, she says, I felt desperate. My friends tried to help me as best they could by bringing me food and praying for me and praying with me and encouraging me to press on. You see, I I appreciated their efforts, but nonetheless, I still felt overwhelmed and discouraged. I, I didn't like discussing my problems because no one could understand my pain, she writes. Loved ones offered advice, but I couldn't even receive it. One morning, I finally decided to tell a few friends how I was actually feeling. I didn't want to talk, but I knew that being encouraged by the saints and believers is important. I didn't want to pull further away from the fellowship of believers in my ongoing grief. But soon after we started talking, I couldn't speak anymore. I felt foolish as I just sat there crying uncontrollably. The comfort of friends, though well-meaning, felt empty. No one could fix this. I was beginning to wonder if even God could fix it. My friends sat with me wordlessly as I sobbed. However, after a long period of silence, one of my friends ended up speaking up and I'll never forget her words, she says, and here they are. When I think of you and I pray for you, 
I keep seeing this image. It's of the disciples and Jesus' mother, Mary, weeping at the foot of the cross. You see, they're huddled together trying to comfort each other. They're trying to make sense of all that has just happened. But it doesn't make sense. The sky is black. All hope looks lost. The dreams have died. It seems that nothing good can ever come from this. To them, this day, that first Good Friday, is the darkest day they've ever known. But the one thing they do not know is that Sunday's coming. Today we come to a very familiar psalm. It's actually one that is made familiar by Jesus' words on the cross. And you might ask, Brandon, this doesn't sound like your stereotypical Mother's Day sermon. And I have struggled with this for weeks. I typically, in preparing messages, will plan months in advance. I pray, I seek God, we have a theme that we go through, and this message has been planned and prepared for a long time. And I tried to find a way out of preaching on Psalm 22. But I wasn't let off the hook. I'm not some mysterious guy that's looking for signs and wonders, but the reality is I know how to trust God and when to trust God, and when I don't trust God, things usually don't play out well. And so against my better judgment, I'm presenting this message to you today. On Mother's Day, 2022. Psalm 22, it reads like this. This is a psalm of David. Nobody really knows why David wrote this. We don't know the time period in his life. We don't know what's going on specifically. We know the course of his life is written in the book of Kings and Samuel. But we don't know what specifically this psalm is tied to. Not directly. And so we're going to unpack it today. And tell me if some of this doesn't sound familiar to you. Psalm 22, starting with verse 1. My God, my God! The New Living Translation says, why have you abandoned me? We're very familiar with the why have you forsaken me passage. Where do we hear that? Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. You ever feel that way sometimes? Every night I lift my voice Find no relief. Do you ever feel like when you pray to God that he's not there? Like you pick up the phone and you dial the number and it continues to ring and ring and ring and voicemail's not even coming on so you could leave him a message. But then the psalmist goes straight from there to verse three. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted you, and you rescued them. They were in great distress. They had cried out for 400 years in Egypt. How long have you waited? 
when something bad's going on and God seems so far away. 400 years they waited. You, our ancestors trusted you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and they were saved, not in their time, but in his time, and his time is always perfect. They trusted you and they were never disgraced. When they trust, now I want you to catch this. Were they ever disgraced? Of course they were. When they trusted God, were they ever disgraced? No, they weren't. It's when they lacked the trust in God that they became disgraced. That's the whole of the, the Torah and all the way through the writings and the prophets of the Old Testament, the historical books. We see them falling time and time and time again. Judges chapter 2 tells us of the cycle of sin and salvation that they went through over and over and over after every generation. It's when they lacked trust in God that they became disgraced. What does the church look like today that lacks trust in God? It's a compromised church that allows sin and death to rule over its message. It's a compromised church that doesn't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But those churches that do are the ones that are in the sights of those who don't like the message of truth. Verse six, he goes back again. God, you can be trusted. You're holy. Our ancestor did. ancestors did. But I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned and I'm despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. David is saying this centuries before Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus now is hanging on the cross and people are mocking and scorning. Oh, is this the king of the Jews? Oh, he's supposed to be the son of God. Well, let him save himself. Does this sound familiar? And then he goes back. Do you see the cycle he's going through? I'm in a bad place, God, and you don't seem to be anywhere near, but you're holy. I'm a worm. This is despicable. This is crazy. Verse 9, but you brought me safely from my mother's womb. And you led me to trust you and my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Don't stay away from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in like lions. They open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like the sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and you have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Do you ever feel that way? My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. This is before crucifixion was even a thing. David had no understanding what he was writing and the prophetic intent of what that was as Jesus was hanging on the cross saying, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. 
My enemies stare at me and they gloat. They divide my garments among themselves by throwing dice for my clothing. Have you read the Gospels? Because the Roman soldiers did that with the robe that covered the brutalized back from the scourging that Jesus took. Oh, Lord, don't stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. You see what he's saying? I feel utterly alone. God, I don't know you're there. I struggle to sense your presence. But then he proclaims, I know you are, even though my senses and my desires and my emotions don't feel it. I will praise you in the great assembly, he says. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow before him, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Who do we know is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The one Paul says in Philippians 2 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. What do we do with all of this this morning? What do we do with this? We see that David wrote this. He felt compelled and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this psalm. And we see some of the fulfillment of that in Jesus on the cross. In the Passion Week that we just celebrated a few weeks back. What does this mean for us? Well, there's a past, a present, and a future context to this psalm that I think bears talking about this morning. But the key point is this. In the midst of sorrow, God can be trusted. Let me say that again. In the midst of sorrow, tragedy, sadness, aloneness, desperation, depression, mental illness, physical ailments, in the midst of any of that, God can be trusted. And the ones who trust in God will never be disgraced. It doesn't mean you won't go through the deep, dark valley of death's dark shadow. What it does mean is that when you go through those dark valleys, he knows and is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Psalm 23, the very next one in line to Psalm 22. 
So here's this. We can trust God because of what he has done in the past. That's the first point this morning. Scholar and author Robert Hughes writes, Psalm 22 shows the tension David felt while knowing that God was totally powerful to help him and at the same time that he was experiencing what appeared to be the absence of God's presence to help. The faithful person may cry out in great pain and yet affirm God's goodness in ultimate deliverance. As a pastor of going on 23 years now, three different churches, I witnessed and experienced great tragedy and sorrow and pain in a multitude of different people's lives. Those that have graced the doorway of my office or I've been with them at different restaurants or different places just to meet with them to unpack some of life's hardest questions. One of the main questions that I get is, where is God? Where is God in the midst of my pain? Where is he when I'm crying out to him, but I don't feel him near? Where is he when my husband leaves me, when my wife leaves me, when my child passes away unexpectedly? Where is he when tragedy strikes? The greatest question of all time. How can God be so good and so loving and yet all of this bad stuff in the world happen at the same time? If he was truly good, truly loving, and truly all-powerful, then there would be none of this. And so we let ourselves off the hook. And we blame God. God gets the blame. He's got big shoulders. He can handle it. The reality is it's not until we take ownership of our own brokenness and our own sinful state of existence that we're able to see through his eyes, at least a small glimpse enough to be able to see, oh, okay, that makes sense. You see, this journey that we're in called life is ugly, it's messy. It wasn't created to be this way. There are two chapters you can read of when all things were right and good according to God's perfect standard. Everything from Genesis 3 on is when it all went awry. And when did it go awry? Because God came in and he said, hey, why don't you try a piece of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is that what God did? No. He said, don't do that. It's the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in the form of a serpent said, hey, why don't you try this out? See, there's a choice in each and every one of our lives. But you say, Brandon, I didn't choose to have my spouse walk away from me. I didn't choose to lose my job. I didn't choose. It, it's, I'm innocent here. And this is what David's talking about. We don't hear any admission of guilt, of sin, like, Lord, forgive me for doing this. I'm suffering the consequences, but can you please shine brightly on me and forgive me? No, we don't hear any of that. There's no confession in there at all. And we know David was a man of confession because he pours himself out in these psalms. This is what made him a man after God's own heart. Though not perfect, he always made amends for what he did right, wrong and, and headed in the direction of Christ, or God. So what do we do with this? What do we see from this? We look to the past. 
See, when we're in the midst of the heat of the moment and tragedy is striking or we're feeling depressed or bad things are happening and God doesn't seem near and we in our own selves cry out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? Can you not hear me? We remember the past. You ever hear the term hindsight's 2020? For those who are astute enough and have trusted in God and continue to trust in God, they have, they have a history that they can look back on. And they can see how God has navigated them through some of the most tumultuous times of life. They can see it maybe not in their own lives, but their own ancestors' lives. Oh, my grandmother, she was a saint. I'm nothing compared to her. Or my mom or my dad. Oh, they were Bible-believing, and I thought they were wacko. But I'm telling you, there's something about them. I admired that. I admired their faith. And I saw how God truly blessed them. Even in the midst of the worst times of life, when you are in the midst of a present situation that has drug you down to the pit, where do you look? Where do you look for encouragement? As a pastor, and I think most pastors would be, if they're honest enough, would tell you they quit every Monday or Tuesday. They say, I can't do this anymore. The weight's too heavy. No, it doesn't mean we have weight every week, but the reality is, it is you never know from week to week what you're going to get. I used to work at a couple factories before I went off to college to study for the ministry and pursue the calling God placed on my life, and all I had to do was push a button, push a button push a button. That is predictable. It's simple. And there's part of my life that thinks, oh, I wish I could go back to pushing a button. <laughs> I mean, the right button. I push buttons now, and it's usually not the right ones. And people are like, I hate you. <laughs> That's a different topic for a different time. <laughs> you see, when we are stuck, we don't know where else to look, and all seems lost, and we don't see any way out of the mess that we're in. The reality is we just need to look back a little bit to see where we've come, where God has been. And if we can't see that in our own lives, I know you've got somebody who's been godly and has trusted the Lord, and you can see their lives as living, as a living witness to the light and the direction that leads to Christ. We can trust God because of what he's also doing in the present. See, David knows that God has been with him from the very moment of his conception in his mother's womb all the way up, dare I go there today. Life is sacred and holy. All life is sacred and holy. And we're in a fight of a lifetime. David knows that even in Psalm 139, you knit me together. I said that earlier. You knit me in together. In my, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You get this imagery because I'm a very visual learner. And so when I read these Bible processes, when I read these stories, these narratives, I'm, I'm picturing God <laughs> with knitting needles. I'm picturing him to get, knitting, putting every cell in the place that she, well, what about those who are born with deformities, Brandon? Those are questions, right? These, I'm telling you, there's probably no question you could throw at me I've not heard or been asked. 
And I've had to dig deep and to research and to pray and say, Lord, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. What about deformities? What about all these things? What about somebody who's born with all the... And then we, wanna, we want to purify that by saying, well, those lives aren't worth living, so we'll just do away with them. Is the same God who loves and who knits us together in our mother's womb, are we truly fearful? Do we believe that? Are we fearfully and wonderfully made? Amen. I think we are. You see, the result of the sin in the world, everything down to the molecular level in society, in, in, in physics, everything is out of whack. There still hangs in the balance this great author of control who is God that if he were to withdraw his hand, everything would completely fall apart. Colossians 2, how do all things hold together? Christ. Because it was in him, through him, that all things came into existence. The word then in the Old Testament, Jesus, or not, excuse me, Genesis 1, God spoke his word and things came into existence. And then in John chapter 1, we get the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, who is the Son of God. And that word of God, who created everything and took on flesh, was nailed to a cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is one who has experienced the deepest of sorrows. He is the one who Isaiah 53 says is acquainted with our griefs. And it's that by his stripes we are healed. And so when, if we have nowhere else to look in life, looking in the past and in the present, we can see the testimony of one who was sinless and perfect the way we should be who's calling out to God, where are you? And in that very moment, it's believed by most scholars, and I said this a few weeks ago, that that's when God turned his back. Why would he do that? Because he had to experience the full weight of judgment for the sin of humanity on his shoulders. And that judgment is the rejection of God, a turning away. And in that abandonment and in that moment of just utter aloneness, Jesus calls out. But Sunday was coming. David knows that God can be trusted because God so masterfully put him together. That God gave him life, he gave him breath to breathe, strength to move, he put him in a place of authority over Israel. He knows that God is good in the present. He knows that from the point of his conception till the point he writes this. And that God can still be trusted no matter what. And thirdly, he knows that God can be trusted for what he'll do in the future. For many of us, when we're at a place of just utter and complete aloneness, in desperation, we can't see beyond the immediate moment. See, we see this very myopic view whenever we're experiencing pain and difficulty. We see like this. We see like this. But see, David was, trusted God enough that he was able to pull back and see, okay, God, I know what your promises are in your word, and I know they're true, I've seen what you've done with my ancestors, how you brought them through some of the worst times. I know in the present that you're with me, even though I don't feel it, because you've knit me together in my mother's womb. You've pulled me through all of this, and you've been my God from the day I was born. 
from the moment of my conception. But God, I know you'll still be God in the future. And I know that the end result of my current situation isn't this, that there's something beyond this. Author and scholar John Goldingay writes, Psalm 22 makes an extraordinary final transition from speaking of the grim facts about the present to speaking of the glorious facts about the future in the conviction that God has heard his prayer, even though God has not yet acted. Do you hear that? It gives no indication that anything has changed after verse 21. Go back and look at verse 21, where he's calling out to God. Nothing has changed in his circumstance, and yet he can proclaim that the future is still going to be good because you're a good God and you can be trusted. God is good. The Lord does not despise the affliction of the lowly, but he hears their cry for help. People despise the lowly in their affliction, but God does not. They take his affliction as a reason to scorn dependence on the Lord. A lot of times people say, I wonder what that person did wrong to be going through so much junk. See, they did that in the New Testament. Now you can see this in, in, uh, in, G, in the disciples talking to Jesus. What did this man do? Was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be this way? Jesus said, neither. <laughs> this is so the glory of the Lord could be known. Oh, so it's not because, now don't get me wrong, there are consequences to sin, and we live out those consequences, right? But see, not everything can be attributed to the consequences of sin. Some people go through bad stuff. Job was a righteous man, and he called out to God too. And he's like, see, what have I done? If I've done, I'll make amends for it. I'll, I'll figure it. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He's blameless. Wow. Job didn't have a good time. It was pretty rough. If anybody would be acquainted with the desperate feelings of aloneness, having lost utterly everything in life, even his own health, and do you know that even all the way through that, Job still trusted God. You see, David undoubtedly knew the story of Job. Job is the oldest story written in the Bible. More than likely, it is the first ancient writing we have that was adopted into Scripture. And Job, and David would have known this. David would have known this issue of Job and acquaint, acquainting himself with that utter abandonment by God. But see, one of the things that David knew and that Job knew is that God can be trusted. Why? Because he will always come through. He will answer his prayers. We've, we've seen the promises of God. So the question is, if God will come through, then When? We don't always have that answer. It may not be tomorrow, the next day, the next year. You've heard my story about my stepfather, who was my father from the time I was two years old. A guy who just loathed the church. And anybody who would go to it did not make him happy at all when his son decided to go into the ministry. Oh, you're going to be one of those charlatans, those guys who milk people for money and manipulate hearts. That's what he told me straight out of his mouth. Even until 
Even after I'd been in the ministry a while, when are you going to give this nonsense up and actually do something? I prayed for him since I was 11 years old. And you know, if you've been around long enough, several, several of your guests here, you don't know the story. If you've been around long enough, he got saved two years before he died. 2016, he had an authentic come to Jesus moment. And though he still had this rough edge about him, there was a transition in that man's heart that I knew that I knew that I knew something's different. <laughs> And he got it. I prayed for 30 years. How long have you had to wait for God to answer your prayer? Who are you leaning on? What are you leaning on in the midst of your struggle and your difficulty? Let me pick up with Vanitha's rest of the story. Do you remember where we left her off? Friends had gathered around her. She figured she needed to lean on them because it was the right thing to do as a believer in Christ. And told the story about Good Friday and how some of the followers of Christ and Mary were at the foot of the cross comforting one another and mourning through the difficulty of that desperate moment where there seemed no goodness can come from all of that. But they didn't know. Actually, they did but they failed to believe it, that Sunday was coming. She says in the ongoing story, my friend's words brought me inexpressible comfort, both then and now. She says, I've clung to that passage, that scene by the cross for years. It gave me courage. It put my life into perspective. It reminded me that God brings beauty from ashes. I realized that my suffering was temporary and that one day it would be over. My suffering had meaning. It would not be wasted. My suffering could actually glorify God. It would, it would ultimately be for my good. She writes, while, I, uh, while that experience was several years ago, I will never forget that day, that defining moment. It gave me hope. Not that my circumstances would change overnight, but that change was possible and that it would one day come to me. It also reminded me that I am often just looking at a snapshot, one frame in the film of my life, and that I have no idea what's coming next. Perhaps my night of weeping is over and dawn is about to break, bringing with it a flood of untold joy. Or perhaps my tears are not finished yet. Perhaps the night will remain for a while longer. But this I know. Easter is coming. Sunday is coming. Again, Robert Hughes writes, David prayed for deliverance from death while Christ's deliverance was accomplished by his resurrection from the dead. I don't know where you are today. As our worship team comes forward to close us out this morning, I don't know if you were on cloud nine experiencing the greatest joy of all time, or if you've seen struggles and 
difficulties. I don't know if you're in the midst of that right now. It's been a tough week here at North Main. It has been a really hard week, not for me, but for many of you in this congregation. Hearing stories of loss and struggle and trial and pain and grief and wanting to bear that with you and feeling the weight of the burden of the struggles of those who are part of this congregation, it's hard. But all I can do as a shepherd is carry those burdens to the foot of the cross, knowing that Sunday's coming, knowing that it's what Jesus did on that cross that made all the difference in the world. And I cannot do what Jesus did. I can only point people and lead people to that place. And so when I pray with people, and when you pray with people, it's as if you're kneeling before that cross where Jesus was crucified on that Good Friday, knowing that it's what he did there made the difference a couple days later when that tomb became empty. We have hope. We have every reason to believe, even though we don't feel it. Because we know that God is good, that he can be trusted, and that when we are completely surrendered to him and we trust in him, we can never be disgraced. If you're struggling today, and you're like, yeah, I, I, I have been crying out, maybe not audibly, but in my own mind and heart, God, where are you? And you don't want to have to sit in that alone, but you want to start today to break whatever that is and allow somebody to pray with you. You come to my right, your left. These altars are always open, and we have a prayer team that will come down and pray with you. And they may not have the right words to say that bring you comfort, but you don't have to struggle alone. And they can be with you as you release that burden and set it at the foot of the cross. If you want to pray by yourself, nobody else is going to come around you. Prayer team knows that this is off limits. It's just for you to come and pray to my left, your right. Those of you at home, you don't have to be here to do that. You can kneel by your couch. Don't kneel in your car while you're driving. It's not a good idea. Pull over to the side of the road if you're listening to this. Let it go. Trust God and don't just rely on feelings. Will you pray with me? Father, this Mother's Day, we know that not everyone in this room is experiencing the joy of motherhood. And not everybody had a great mother to lean on. We know even outside of that, we've all experienced, experienced grief, pain, and sorrow at some level or another. And God, when we go through those dark valleys of the shadow of death, remind us, as you reminded David, that you're right there with us. As the old story goes of the footprints in the sand, and when things were going great, there were two set of footprints. Remind us that when there was only one set and we felt alone, it was then you were actually carrying us through those dark times. And if we forget... And we're lost alone in the wilderness of despair. Be our guiding light out as we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Remind us that when we trust in you, we can never be disgraced. We do trust you, God. And today we lean on you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.